set your system's volume control for slightly above the normal listening level. Let's go. Second level thinking is defined as looking beyond the easy, obvious conclusions. You got to do some smart thinking. Welcome to the second level. To the second level on SB Nation Radio. And on SBNationRadio.com. Where we go beyond the box score. Presented by Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Rocket Mortgage is with you every step of the way. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's your host, Aton Shander. Duke trailing Louisville by 10 points right now. As the second half will begin in a couple of moments, we'll let you hear from that humongous moment in overtime out west in Washington as Oregon prevails. Not only wins the game in overtime, but covers as well. And a bizarre day. John Calipari was ejected today as as Kentucky and Arkansas battled. Wasn't a problem as Kentucky pulls away, but still, you had that moment. It was just an up-and-down day in college basketball. And the conversation shifted, not necessarily to video games. It was just an example used. So I'll do the same now as Andrew's out, John's in, producing the show with me for the next two hours. We talked about this example where – Sunday is that moment, wherever you were, whatever part of your life where you knew what you were getting for whatever gift-giving holiday you celebrate, you knew what you were getting in advance, a week, two weeks, four weeks, six weeks, eight weeks. What do you want, John? And you answered, I want fill in the blank. And then that moment that it comes, that moment that you see the box, that you unwrap it, that you open it up, that you put it on, that you push a button, whatever the hell it is that you finally get. That moment that you receive the gift that you've been asking for, you've been hoping for, that very moment, something's wrong. Something snaps. Something doesn't work. It doesn't have the right batteries. The controller is off. There's something missing. There's a piece that connects A to C. That Where the hell is B? Well, it's not in the damn bag. You know, whatever it is. That's what tomorrow feels like. Where... We're getting this gift-wrapped box that we know is amazing championship football with the Titans and their storyline, the Packers and their ability to beat anybody and possibly upset the Niners who have their own cool built-in storyline with a coach of the year and a team that has a defense that can win a Super Bowl. And then, oh, by the way, Andy Reid in the hole, he's never won a Super Bowl. You're listening to The Second Level on SB Nation Radio. And on SBNationRadio.com. Presented by Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios with way more than the scores, here's Aton Shander. Finds Pritchard. Four seconds. Three seconds. Pritchard has to hoist. Oh! Unbelievable ESPN there with the call is that did a couple of things. First off, it absolutely 100% won the game for Oregon. In overtime, Peyton Pritchard with a stones out shot, basically step back, step back, three point shot, still guy in his face on Washington, knocks it down. 
Huge escape right there for Oregon to get the hell out of town with a victory. Now, on top of that, you also had a minus two-and-a-half point line that Oregon had to cover. So with the game tied and 10 seconds left, you're thinking, I'm screwed. There's just no way. Two-and-a-half points. They're going to do what they can to work the ball, try to get on the free throw line, do what they can, and hopefully, if they're able to, then bounce back and get on the line, get two points, maybe you get an and one. And instead, here's Peyton Pritchard saying, nah, I'll just handle that. I'll win the game and get you a cover. And maybe even most impressive after all of this, despite the game going to overtime, it still hits the under. And that has everything to do with Washington. This streak, it happened earlier against Oregon State. Or, yeah, I believe it was Oregon State. Unbelievable to see what Washington is doing where, and I'm not saying it so much even as a positive, but just as a a blown away, unbelievable. Where Washington is able to limit everybody. They're running that god-awful 2-3 zone from Syracuse. Now the assistant's over there running the show at UW. And the under will hit. You know that the under will hit. Every time they go out there, especially now that they're down their point guard due to the academic ineligibility. I want to say that as far as that future is concerned that I was bragging about earlier while this team was in overtime, I don't feel great about it. I understand I don't feel great about it. That's why it's plus 7,700. And now I could probably get them at plus 9,000. As they probably will revert back to it. They'll be a tournament team. No, make no mistake. But that was a hell of a call, first and foremost. Hell of a shot for Oregon, for Pritchard, for them to win that game and cover that game. But keep an eye out. What Washington is doing with this streak, this under, consecutive games now that you've seen where the score just goes under with Washington. They just limit teams. And a lot of it is the frustration out there of that zone. It's not like Big East teams who have seen this thing game in and game out against Syracuse and Bayheim and this whole thing of what you know you're going to get. It's not that sense of familiarity. This is more of a newer thing, if you will, for Washington. And they are taking advantage of that. And while teams are still kind of struggling figuring that thing out, why not take advantage of it from a sports betting standpoint? At the very least, I think you have to go with it until proven otherwise. Until they show you that they're incapable of staying under. Well, Auburn got smacked today, 69-47. And Bruce Pearl has really dropped two straight that are head scratchers. That's not to knock Florida but that, that's a big win for them. I think it's the first time in like 10 years that they've got a victory that big. Now, also, basketball news, as we're a little over an hour away from the Rockets-Lakers game, and if there was any anticipation or belief that Anthony Davis would return tonight, Dave McMenamin shot that down, and I'll read his tweet at MC10, Lakers star big man Anthony Davis will not play Saturday in Houston, missing his fifth straight game as he continues to recover from a hard fall on his backside against the Knicks. Now, just to be clear here, the Rockets are not resting either James Harden nor Russell Westbrook. Is that correct, John? To your knowledge, 
coming into this game down in Houston with an eye on your squad. Everybody, at least those two guys, when I say everybody, is healthy, nor they're not getting any rest, correct? Yeah, I haven't heard anything about neither one of them not playing. Same thing with Kuz and LeBron. So you're going to have somewhat of an equal matchup here. You just know for a fact that Anthony Davis won't make his return. And even still, if it was on the line so much as that, how much were you going to get from AD? Was it going to be a full game's worth? Is he going to return and play you know, 38 minutes? Probably not, especially coming back from a rump injury. But that line now becomes a little more tempting. It's now a two-and-a-half-point line, and I imagine that it's probably going to bet at least th- maybe three-and-a-half to not three. If you're with the Lakers, you might want to wait another 40 minutes or so and see how much more you can get on this line because the average person who sees this is going to run to their local book, to their local app, to their local brick-and-mortar casino and say, here you go, take my money on Houston. Oh, no Anthony Davis, Rockets got this. They're at home, Rockets got this. It's a tight line. One in which just because Anthony Davis is out doesn't really secure anything. Defensively, especially on the perimeter, nothing has changed. And we've seen this team already play four straight games without Anthony Davis. So there shouldn't be any high level of adjustment by any means. Something to keep an eye on as that thing moves will let you know as well. But If you love, honestly, if you like the Rockets, I think the play is to jump in right now before you lose anything. And I, again, I looked at this more like a Lakers play based on the fact that I'm still getting points with a team that hasn't looked lost defensively by any means without Anthony Davis on the perimeter. Again, it doesn't mean so much that not, again, this is the same thing that I've talked about and discussed at length with the Sixers team playing without Joel Embiid, just because at times Things may look a little better. It doesn't mean that the team will always be or even is better off. So that argument isn't out there about Anthony Davis. Oh, they're playing better without him. The point of it is is that they haven't lagged as much as people may have thought defensively. So going into this game with any real hopes of maintaining a lead, two and a half points shouldn't be much. Again, I'd wait right now. If you're going to take the Lakers, I'd wait. The game will technically tip at 840 Eastern. You know right now that Anthony Davis is out, and the average better who just sees this on their app, if they're in Philly, if they're in Jersey, Vegas, wherever, they just got that. They're going to put one and one together. So we go back down to Houston, and I ask you now, John, Knowing what you know about your team, Anthony Davis is out, but what I just laid out, and look, you can agree or disagree regardless of that. I'm just saying all and everything in front of you. Do you like, because if you do, then the the play is to jump in now because you'll lose some action. But do you like Houston minus two and a half knowing, and they're minus 134, which is not terrible by any means on the money line, but I'd drop it to two and a half and only pay minus 110. Do you like Houston minus two and a half knowing that there's no AD. Uh, it, that's a tough one still because the, the, the Houston still doesn't have a lot of big men, and you still have JaVel McGee, you still have Dwight Howard that's been playing well. I, Dwight I Howard's a great add to this conversation. Yeah. Thank you. 
No, I, 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 that's a really tough one. No, I, I think I would still lean Lakers. Wow. I mean, what would it take? It would take a really bad shooting night right now. Yeah. Duke has cut this thing, meanwhile. And Louisville is trying to deal with this Duke trap, which is not easy by any means. And we told you it was only a matter of time. Look, we get it that this is a crazy year and nobody's safe right now. Top five teams, top ten, nobody's safe. Duke losing to Louisville at home would be an upset, make no mistake there. But this is not over. This was not over from the jump. Louisville just got out. And that's why you saw these odds makers who were trying to get you, entice you like they got me in-game. These guys, like they got me, they were trying to get you and say, well, look, it's not really going to go higher than 150. And as much as it fluctuated as the score went up and down, it didn't go any higher than 150. And even when it was still around 9 to 10 points, it dropped to like, plus 105 to 110, and I'm talking about Duke in-game. So we jumped on it, at least I did, and that means the show did, right? Jumped on it there to just watch this run happen that whoever was setting these lines on whatever app you were using, for me I had two, knew it was an inevitability. And here we are, from 10 to 4 as Louisville forced to call timeout. That press right now is causing some problems for Louisville. So maybe you jumped in there like I did. We'll see. We'll continue to follow that game as well. At Shander Show is how you get me on Twitter. The Twitch channel's up, Mason Eight on Facebook as well. I mentioned the video game analogy only because we looked at this example. And, John, uh, the break hit, so I apologize. But did you have a moment like that? Because Andrew said the PlayStation 2 that he got a game, but the, the console he had to wait a week for. And that got the whole Twitter thing going of, at Shander's show, what's the best PS2 game of all time? Because I was thinking, okay, Madden has to be up there, but a lot of people saying Vice City. And I think that might actually be in the lead right now. So two, one, you can weigh in on the PS2 thing in a second, but did that happen to you? Did, did My fear of what's going to happen tomorrow with Sunday's football, where we've been waiting all week, the equivalent of waiting for this present that you know is coming. Great football. That's all I want this year. Great football. And something's going to happen. Like some bad call, something with officiating, something's going to mar it. Did that ever happen with you where you were anticipating a present and then when you got it, there was something wrong with it? Yes. Uh, so when I, I think it might have been in 2004, 2005. Uh, the Texans had only been around for a couple years and uh, I was a big Andre Johnson fan. Yes. And uh, I overheard my mother telling her sister on the phone she bought me an Andre Johnson jersey. But she didn't hide it at the house. She hid it at a friend's house. And then okay. on Christmas morning, there was no Andre Johnson jersey. And turns out they lost it at her friend's house. No. Took, them, it took me about four days to get my jersey. What? And, and the funny part about it is she didn't tell me. She, she was too embarrassed to even tell me that she was going to give me the jersey. So I actually brought it up to her, and she was shocked that I knew about it. But then, I mean, it was all out there. When did you bring it up? When you didn't get it? As soon as I opened the last gift and it wasn't there, I was like, where's my jersey? Where's your jersey? How how do you know about the jersey? I was like, I overheard it. That is hilarious. And of all things, you overhear it, too. Uh Uh-huh. I knew it was coming. (laughs) She didn't know I knew it was coming, and then I was so bummed. Oh, my goodness. 
That is amazing. That's great, especially because you have the ability to call them out. Yeah, be yes. like, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> now, it took him four days to find the jerk. Do yeah. you know where it was well, eventually? So, yeah, so it was in the garage. Her husband, my mom's friend's husband, took and hit it and didn't tell her where it was. Oh, my goodness. And, yeah, it was a, it was a big mix-up. That is hilarious, man. Well, hopefully this isn't the case of Andrew's PS2 of your Andre Johnson jersey and anybody else's example of this on Sunday, and I'm making much ado about nothing. And, in fact, we get the gift that we've wanted. Man, I sure hope so. I'm I'm just so concerned that we're going to find ourselves, after the first game, just marred with controversy to the point in which it's going to take over that second game. And hopefully it's only one. If it does happen, I'm just rooting for none. Now, we've got a big fight tonight. It's not just Conor McGregor on that card. bunch of other names. We're going to get you updated not only from a sport but from a betting standpoint at 740 Eastern. And when we get back, we'll update you on if Louisville can handle themselves against Duke. It's SB Nation Radio. Dealing with the root of the issues, it's the second level on SB Nation Radio. And on SBNationRadio.com. Presented by Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Aton Shander. I have some information regarding ESPN and the move on one of their major broadcasts. And no, it's not Monday Night Football. So we'll get to that coming up. As I mentioned, 10 minutes from now, though, we'll talk about the gigantic fight, the return of Conor McGregor. But a bunch of other names on here. In fact, I got a heads up, if you will, from nobody specific. It's not like I tapped into the brain of like a John Anik or somebody. But I got somewhat of a heads up, if you will, from somebody I trust that knows a little bit more than me in the UFC game. So while I watch my ticket incinerate in front of me, and I'm curious, before I even get into the UFC thing, I had Duke at plus 150 in-game, and right now I can cash out for pretty much what I put down. Now, I put this thing down before half. I put this thing down back in the first half when they were down 21-9. And the cash-out is still there to where now they're down seven with 13 left, and I can pretty much walk away unscathed. Uh, John, what do you think on that? Now, I'm not going to hold you accountable either way, but I'm curious because normally the cash-out is not there that long unless you are ahead of the game where the cash-out where it's like, okay, we'll give you what you bet and like another whatever it may be, 10, 15% of it. In this case, it's pretty much even that I could, well, I wouldn't lose more than eight cents right now if I cashed out when I got them at plus 150. Now, just to update you, while they're down seven, they're only plus 110 right now on the money line. That's a big difference. Yes, it is. Dude, I I say leave it. Don't don't cash out. Yeah. See, I, I think, yeah. I guess you're right. All right, I'll let it ride here. Now, let me get... Let it ride, man. Okay, I'll let it ride. Just because it's Duke, and they can't lose to Clemson at Clemson, and then home, which wouldn't be a terrible loss. 
but still two straight losses in the second one to Louisville. And it's almost like you'd rather just get blown out by Louisville and take a breath, step back, and figure this thing out as opposed to some tight loss. And look, Duke is not scoring either. And maybe that's probably something that we should be talking about more so than not. You're getting in the 70s on the road against Clemson, a team that you should be cruising. And now Louisville has essentially engulfed you more so than what you've been able to do. That's why that press seemed to be a little too little too late, although it did do somewhat to narrow that lead. But realistically, Louisville and some suspect shots by you as Duke, that's what's caused this offensive drought more so. And just sloppy basketball as a whole. This Duke team, you'll see it because it's unfortunate now, and you're going to see this, but... Where we are in college basketball, it's so volatile at the top. We're a top 10 team, a top 5 team, hell, a top 3 team. A top 3 team is about to lose two straight games. And it has nothing to do with parity. It has nothing to do with the fact that everybody is now playing on much more of an equal plane. There are a couple of areas where the game is shifting more towards what the NBA is. And that's driving and spot-up three-point shooting. And the mid-range game is not gone, but it is dying slowly. And you see the resistance of that where there's still coaches and players trying to work offenses around that type of shot, even though it's not really being executed on levels below, like high school AAU, and levels above, like the NBA. So that's a major factor into why you see any team out there going through any given night in which they can struggle from the floor. But, and this is where I would say you start to teeter on this line of it becoming a little unfortunate because you have so many opportunities for top teams to go down, like Duke may go, most likely is going to go down here to Louisville at home as they trail by eight. But you can't now, it's almost like a built-in excuse. You can't call a team overrated. You can't call a team underachieving. You can't call a team out of rank, not only where their number is next to them, but just the fact that they're getting outclassed on the floor because it's happening to everybody. That's the nonsense that you get regurgitated back to you if, in fact, you try and call something out. Well, look, it's happening. It's almost like the sign-stealing thing to try and deflate that to the point at which, well, it's happening everywhere. You want me to care? You want me to truly just go nuts and jump up and down? I need to know to what extent this thing is really happening. And that's unfortunate what's going on now is, that's why I use that term, is because you're seeing another loss like what's bound to happen here with Duke and it will be met with, wow, this season's crazy. It's unpredictable. And you don't know who's up there at the top. And another top three team goes down as they trail by nine with 14 to go. Nah, I don't necessarily think it's just constantly, conveniently swept under any rug. I think it truly is a matter of this Duke team right here is an underachiever. And this Duke team is... The rich man's version, the penthouse version of UNC. 
which, again, they lost their best player, so maybe that's a tight one there. But the reality is, is that Duke themselves, whatever they were believing or whatever they have going on for them with Coach K and whatever lie he's selling these kids, uh, they're not a champion. Not this year. They don't have it. They don't have the depth to do it. And they sure as hell don't have whatever it takes to stay focused and bounce back from a terrible loss. This should not be in question right now. You have an opportunity to show so many people at Cameron Indoor that what happened against Clemson, of all teams, Clemson, was a fluke. And instead, you're showing them, nah, in fact, it's just Duke. We'll get some insight in the big McGregor card, as well as a bunch of other fights tonight coming up next on SB Nation Radio. Scratching beneath the surface, it's the second level on SB Nation Radio. And on SBNationRadio.com. Presented by Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Aton Shander. Get back to the Louisville-Duke game in a couple of minutes. As we mentioned, there is something much bigger happening tonight on a much bigger platform, UFC 246, and we need help. As far as looking at this from a fighting standpoint, from a drama theater standpoint, from a betting standpoint, and we bring in Shaheen Al-Shadi. You can follow him on Twitter at Sean Al-Shadi, senior writer for The Athletic MMA, MMA Fighting as well, theathletic.com slash MMA. Aton Shander, SB Nation Radio. Appreciate your time tonight, sir. Thank you for joining me. Absolutely, man. It's my pleasure. I promise I, I won't bring up, unless they are somewhat in the lead, I promise I won't bring up this Suns-Celtics game. Although here in Philadelphia, we're all Suns fans today, I should say that. <laughs> hey, hey, the Suns are doing really well so far tonight, so let's, I'm keeping my fingers crossed on that one. For me as well, and it has nothing to do with the fact that I might have taken them in-game. Let's look at this as far as the theater is concerned here, and kind of in the backdrop of it. Somebody was bringing this up last night, and I didn't have enough depth to answer the question, but it seemed kind of obvious to me on the surface, and that's Conor McGregor wouldn't come back and all of this just to get him back in the ring and set up a potential fight with Floyd Mayweather and everything else, just to lose, right? So that, you're right. Yeah, that's essentially the setup for tonight in general, is that it's not, tonight's not as much of a fight as much as it is like a business transaction. It's kind of just table setting. Because Connor has been out for over a year at this point. Every, a lot of people kind of wrote him off. Uh, he hasn't won a fight in three years. He hasn't won since 2016, which is very bizarre to think about, but it's true. And he, he's coming back. He has big plans. He's calling this his 2020 season. He's, he's using the term season. He wants to fight three times. And he this is sort of the first one. This is the one just to get him back warmed up. So it is the, the, the goal for Connor, and I think the UFC as well, is to get Connor in tonight and get him a win. But it's MMA, and that's not – no wins are, are given out. So, I mean, it, it, you got to take him. So, is, he still has to go in there and get the job done. But that's kind of the goal for them tonight. 
Is it simply a matter of end this thing as fast as humanly possible and then begin the season as you labeled it? Or do you think Cowboy Cerrone here is going to present enough of a challenge to where this thing could go the distance? Well, that's the funny thing, too, is a lot of people are really writing off Cowboy Cerrone. And I understand to some degree because, I mean, he has lost two fights in a row. Uh, he's gotten knocked out. He hasn't gotten knocked out in both fights, but he's lost both fights by TKOs. And he's getting up there in age. He's been through a lot of wars. He's still Donald Cerrone, though. Like, a lot of people <laughs> are forgetting that this is still Donald Cerrone. At this time last year, we were thinking about Donald Cerrone as if he was a, a title contender. I mean, he was, he was in one of the best moments of his career this time last year. The two fights he lost are against two of the very, very best lightweights in the world, one of which Tony Ferguson is going to fight for the title in April, and the other of which Justin Gaethje is effectively the number one contender. So those are not bad losses on the surface. Uh, so it, it is very – for Connor. you go in there and get a win as fast as you can. But people are really forgetting that Donald Cerrone is not an easy mark for anybody. Some of it seemed like – and again, just from the outside, it was, maybe it was just the lure and the aura that, that surrounds Conor McGregor, but it, it was painted by some – and again, I'm not saying people as deep as you in the sport. It was more just the idiots like me who talk about stuff every now and again on the surface. Like this was Mike Tyson and Peter McNeely, right, just a prop to get Mike Tyson in front, and it was just going to be a, a farce. But as you laid it out, it sounds like this is going to be a legit fight, at least for a couple of rounds. Yeah, it's very much a legit fight on every, on, in every possible capacity. I think the one thing, the one reason why people are sort of looking at it as, as the, in the way that they are is for everything that Donald Cerrone is, he is also a very good stylistic matchup for Connor to try to fight. If Connor is going to come back and try to get a win, Donald was one of the best guys that they could have picked because he's historically really struggled with southpaws who fight with heavy pressure and can just sort of, you know, really take the fight to him. And that's exactly what Conor McGregor is, and that's exactly what Conor McGregor does. So stylistically, this fight seems to favor Conor McGregor heavily. But it is still a fight, as I said at the beginning of our conversation, mm -hmm. and also Donald Cerrone in the back of his pocket has a extraordinarily slick, submission game that he just does not use but if he went to, if he would like to use it this would be the night to use it because that is historically been one of Connor's uh, weak points in, in his game Shaheen Alshadi joining us SB Nation Radio Eitzan Shander at Sean Alshadi on Twitter senior writer for the athletic MMA and of course formerly with the MMA fighting you can read his stuff theathletic.com slash MMA. I had a couple of props about this particular fight, and then I know that there's a lot of value in just from the sport as well as betting standpoint on a bunch of other cards, and I don't want to omit anything by any means, but just as far as this fight is concerned, the takedown element of it, there are two that jumped out at me. McGregor, one-plus takedowns in the fight, so at least one uh, takedown in the fight is, or pardon me, over one takedown in the fight is plus 300, which is, I guess, a little high for an average sports fan like me who may think, oh, well, McGregor is pretty much going to take this guy down a couple of times. That would seem like a lock, yet those odds are pretty high. Yeah, I would be surprised if Connor went for a single takedown in this fight. That's just, that's just not his game. He doesn't really do that to anybody. The one time he really used takedowns a lot was a long time ago when he fought Max Holloway. It was his second-ever UFC fight. And he tore his ACL in the middle of that fight, so he kind of had to change uh, his strategy halfway through. So I'd be really surprised if Connor took him down because, again, 
Donald is a tremendous grappler from his back. He's able to pull off slick triangles, arm bars, all manner of submissions from his back. Always has been, even back to his earliest WEC days. So I think if Connor took him down, that would be a very uh, critical error for him. How much of the return and him just being jacked up for this fight and all of the hype leading up to it is going to play out in maybe the first round where you could see Conor McGregor win. I see this at plus 200, which isn't that high, to be honest, that he wins the fight in the first round. How likely of a reality do you think that is? I think that's definitely a very potentially uh, lucrative way to go with it, right? Because the the train of thought with this is two things. It's one, if this fight can go two ways, if Conor's going to win, he's going to win early, and he's going to win by knockout, and it's going to be somewhere in the first two rounds. If, he, if Donald wins, it's probably going to be a little later in the fight. He's going to drag the fight on like Nate Diaz did with Connor, and he's going to get him in the later rounds or maybe pull off a submission. Those are kind of the, really the only two outcomes that seem very, very likely in this. And Connor, for all of you know the qualities that he has, he historically has really always struck gas tank. He has about two good rounds in him, and then he will start to fade. Uh, and so that's that's a very, very important factor coming into this. So if Connor wins, it'll be early. All right, real quick, before we look at a couple of other fights tonight, what happens? What's the conversation like Sunday, Monday, the next column you write on theathletic.com slash MMA? What's the next storyline slash piece of narrative that gets written, discussed, if, in fact, Conor McGregor loses this fight? Oh, if, if he loses, that's an interesting question. Because as I said, this this fight tonight is really table setting for the rest of the year. If if Connor wins tonight, he comes off and rides off into major money fights against the guys like a Jorge Masvidal or maybe a Khabib Nurmagomedov rematch. All sorts of fights that would make a lot of money for the for the UFC and for Connor. If he loses, that's a tough one. That then he is now. At that point, he has lost three straight fights, if you include the Floyd Mayweather bout in there. Yep. And, he had, again, he hasn't won since 2016. And at some point, you just become the guy who the public associates with losing much more than winning. And I think he's starting to toe border that line a little bit. Losing to a guy like Donald would be a big, big strike against him, though, because as good as Donald is, he is not Habib Nurmagomedov. And that is the one – Connor's lost one fight in his entire UFC career that he has not avenged. He avenged the Nate Diaz loss. To be the off, no one will ever fault you for losing to that guy. He might be the best ever. But it, losing to Donald, especially a 36-year-old Donald Cerrone coming off of two knockout losses, that's a big one. And at that point, that's, the, that's a real huge question of what happens with Connor. Is he going to continue to fight out multiple times this year? Is he kind of go back into the distance again and start his partying ways up? I think anything's on the table at that point. WWE? Uh, he's, see, the thing with him, he's not a big guy. He's, he's, he's a, he, he started at featherweight. He's like 5'9", maybe like 165 yeah, right. pounds. That's, WWE doesn't really use those guys that much. I don't, right. know if he would, I don't know how that would work. That's a good observation. You're right. What happened? Didn't, I mean, look, I'm 41, so I, I don't know. I don't want to date you by any means. But didn't when I, I assume we – were growing up. Didn't there used to be little, like, smaller wrestlers? Why were they phased out? That's a good question. I don't really follow WWE that closely, but it, it does seem like it seems like Vince really loves his big guys, right? Like, probably everybody it. in there is, 
Dana can make money off little guys. Vince likes his big guys. I guess that's how it works. Yeah. All right, what's the second best fight tonight for somebody who is going to start tuning in early knowing that there is Conor McGregor probably on the East Coast after midnight? What's the second best fight tonight? Ooh, that's a good question. So the thing, the funny thing with Conor cards is that they're never deep. Rarely are they deep. I shouldn't say never because there's been a few of them that were really good. But for the most part, the UFC knows if Conor's involved, they don't really need to put a lot of other great fights on. They can kind of just throw some average stuff on there. And that's kind of what we're getting tonight. We're getting one big fight with the Conor Cowboy fight, and then everything else is just average. Um, if you're saying what would be the next next fight, I would probably go to the fight that opens the pay-per-view, which is a lightweight bout between Anthony Pettis and a rising up-and-comer Carlos Diego Ferreira. Um, a lot of people don't know Carlos Diego Ferreira, even within the sport. He's, he's not a big name. I think very few fans would be able to pick him out of a lineup. But he has won a lot of fights in a row, and he has looked damn good doing it. He's been on a tear of late. And Anthony Pettis, in, with Anthony Pettis, he's getting a guy who is a known commodity. Fans out there know Anthony Pettis. Anthony Pettis is always exciting. So that, is, that has a potential to be a real changing of the guard type of fight. And also both of those guys are just tremendously exciting fighters. So I think that will be a good one. That would, I would be surprised of all of the fights on the card. That would be the one I would be most surprised with if it ended up being a buck. How about the Holly Holm fight? Uh, I guess that's going to be the second to last fight, right? Raquel Pennington and Holm before McGregor. Yeah. Holly is uh, rematching a, a woman by the name Raquel Pennington. They fought long time ago, back in 2015, so five years ago at this point. Uh, and that was Holly's first fight in the UFC. So that was before Rousey, before all of this. Um, it's an important fight for Holly. I, I, I'm not incredibly excited for this fight. I think there's big potential for this fight to be a little dull. The first mm. fight was, and uh, that's kind of the way their styles play. I think it might happen again. But it is a really important crossroads fight for Holly. I mean, she's 38 years old. She's coming off of a loss to, to the champion, Amanda Nunes. If she's going to make one more run, one more late push at this tail end of her career, it has to start tonight. Uh, so it is a very, very important fight for Holly. This is awesome. Shaheen Alshadi, thank you so much. At Sean Alshadi on Twitter, senior writer, The Athletic MMA, theathletic.com slash MMA. Great, insightful, educational, fun. Appreciate your time tonight. And the Suns are still oh, no up. Problem. What's that? And I said, and the Suns are still up. Yeah, we're, we can do it. We can do it. I have faith in it. Enjoy. Thanks so much. Enjoy the fights tonight, too. Thank you. My, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Uh, you got it. So something about the McGregor fight that I want to react to coming up next. Also, as this thing is getting tight right now at Cameron Indoor, just to kind of give you an update as far as where we stand, it's 60-58 in the eight-minute mark, and Duke has battled back Louisville, doing their best to withstand the comeback. And so far, we've got ourselves a pretty tight basketball game. At one point, the lead was pretty strong, yet Duke has done a ton right now to battle back into this game. Can they hold on? Can they? And I'll give you my big ticket for tonight. It had nothing to do with any type of insight that I have. It's just something that was handed down to me, so I figured, why not? If I know somebody I trust is going to play this, then you should as well. 
And to my knowledge, we're already underway, right? I think there's a fight going on right now, Aleska Kamer and Justin Leddit. So you already have fights happening, the early prelims right now, including, of course, Roxanne Modadeferi going up against Macy Barber. Uh, Barber is minus 850 on the money line. I am, and the other woman has fought 40 times. We'll wrap the hour next, SB Nation Radio. You're listening to The Second Level on SB Nation Radio. And on SBNationRadio.com. Presented by Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios with way more than the scores, here's Aton Shander. Uh, final hour, we'll look at the possibility of a change for a major ESPN broadcast. We'll... Look a little deeper with some help, of course, into the gigantic AFC and NFC championship game. And, of course, anything that happens in the final couple of minutes with this Louisville-Duke game at Cameron Indoor, where Duke is doing their damnedest to try and hold on down 63-58 in the four-minute mark. And not a good sign that the money line is jacked back up to plus 145 for Duke, trailing by five with four plus left. Oh, that is, I would much rather have seen it at plus 105, 110, something like that. Although now trailing by just three, by just three, it's at plus 110. Well, we got a lot in the final hour. Stay here. Set your system's volume control for slightly above... The normal listening level. Let's go. Second level thinking is defined as looking beyond the easy, obvious conclusions. You got to do some smart thinking. Welcome to the second level. To the second level on SB Nation Radio. And on SBNationRadio.com. Where we go beyond the box score. Presented by Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Rocket Mortgage is with you every step of the way. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's your host, Aton Shander. Duke trying, but it does not look great by any means. We're 35 minutes away from tip in Houston, where the best team in the West will take on the Rockets without Anthony Davis. And Conor McGregor, Cowboy Cerrone, the preliminaries already underway, and a bunch more will jam in this hour. I'm watching a lot of Giants fans squirm right now as they cope with the reality that I'm sure over the last decade they never thought would possibly come true. And to be fair to them, if the situation was flipped and I here in Philadelphia was dealing with a scenario where my new offensive coordinator was Jason Garrett, then, yeah, I would be looking back at a ton of tweets and thinking, hmm, do I let this ride like I did the Duke money line before the cash out and shame on me? Or... Do I just delete this thing and act like it never happened? And that's what you're seeing right now. And it's not just specific to Giants fans, New York fans. It's something that happens all the time in sports, especially when you see a sport, and it doesn't even need to be one with players. It could be coaches or front office, whatever. But when you see a lot of movement, and imagine, like think of this. It's an extreme difference. I get it. But the scenario, at least the analogy, holds up. What do you think, how bad do you think Jets, Dolphins, 
Bills fans have shredded Belichick the cheater, Brady the cheater, all these other things. Bill Belichick, Brady's a little different because where he is physically. Bill Belichick leaves and says, ah, you know what, I think I'd rather coach the Jets. Move on, Adam Gaze. You, you get that Gaze guy out of there. I'll step in. I'll, I'll coach the Jets. Do you know how many tweets, do you know how many times over a Thanksgiving or Christmas, whatever holiday, dinner, that man's name has been vilified? I hope he goes straight to hell and probably 50 things a million times worse. And then you're like, well, now now he's on our side. Now he's with us. Just own the fact that you ripped this Jason Garrett guy to shreds, and now he's going to run your team into the ground. Dealing with the root of the issues, it's the second level on SB Nation Radio. And on SBNationRadio.com. Presented by Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Aton Shander. Watching now as Duke is trying to hold on here. Down three, 73-70 with just over three to go. So we'll keep you updated, in fact, if they can do anything there. At plus 170 in the money line. So not a great possession for them by any means. And bottom of this hour, we'll get some help. Some more insight into the championship games, as it's not just about the players. In fact, we still may be at a point where the biggest storyline of the entire weekend centers around a coach, not a player and not a quarterback, nothing like that. At Shander Shows, I get me on Twitter. The Facebook channel's up, Eights on Shander, Maze and Eights on on Twitch, if you want to watch and look around. I mentioned that. There's a possibility there might be a change coming into Sunday night baseball. And that, of course, the change would be replacing Jessica Mendoza, who was in the booth. And we've already seen a bunch of controversy as she not only does this, but also is an advisor to the Mets, broadcaster, special assistant, to Mets general manager. Well, that's maybe a conflict of interest or maybe simply the comments that she made and the blowback that came from it. So one more time, let's listen to Jessica Mendoza in case you missed it and also as some sort of backdrop for her possible, and again, that's key here, possible departure. It didn't sit sit well with me. And honestly, it made me sad for the sport that that's how this all got found out. I mean, this wasn't something that MLB naturally investigated or that even other teams complained about because they naturally heard about and then investigations happened. But it it came from within. It was a player that was a part of it, that benefited from it during the regular season when he was a part of that team. And, And that, when I first heard about it, it's just it hits you. Like any teammate would, right? It's it's something that you don't do. I totally get telling your future teammates, helping them win, letting people know, but to go public with it and call them out and start all of this, it's it's hard to swallow. Now, what's being reported, and I'm looking at this from Larry Brown Sports, is that those comments themselves do not have any, as executives have tried to make it clear from Larry Brown's post. Mendoza's ill-advised social media post about fears and what you just heard, her comments on whatever, Mike and Mike, I think, or whatever the hell it is now, Wingo and Golick, have no bearing 
on or impact, if you will, on the decision. And yes, I get it that not everything is connected. And sometimes you do have something that exists in a controversy. Boy, Duke, man, just playing like they have no command whatsoever of a home court and instead just rushing shots, trying to get a basket and get to the line, but more so flailing. What the hell is Krzyzewski doing right now? Krzyzewski's just sitting back watching Louisville take over this basketball game with under two minutes to go by handing him and anybody else out there an opportunity. It doesn't matter. It gets squandered. So I don't know. I I can't tell you personally if, in fact, Jessica Mendoza's comments were the reason why she might be out on Sunday Night Baseball. But I can tell you this. They were met with a lot of heat. And the broadcast itself right now needs, based on whether you're reading this and believe it, as far as they're trying to bring a pitcher into here and work a little bit tighter with A-Rod, or they're trying to avoid this becoming a recurring issue. That she is now associated on that specific broadcast, and to be fair to the report, and this thing's off the board right now, rightfully so, as Duke has embarrassed themselves, they found a way to embarrass themselves two straight games. Awful. Last win versus a top three team for Louisville came on the road in 2010. Not 2010 in February, nearly 10 years ago. That's the last time this thing happened. And instead, you had Duke, who completely came off one of their worst losses in recent memory. Outside of losing early to a Lehigh in a tournament, that's one of their worst regular season losses you can think of, going into Clemson and losing the way they did. And now, as this thing was in their hands, Louisville came in and beat them. Wired, I don't remember if Duke even led. At one point it was tied. But this might be a wire-to-wire victory which in its own right is demoralizing if you can go into any team's arena and do that. But what does this say? Who fears Duke right now? Remember, the general hatred that surrounds Duke, the fact that people around the country, basketball fans, college basketball fans, generally dislike Duke and hate Duke. Who right now is fearing this team? Who looks at Duke and says, you know, Airball to try and tie this thing. This is how pathetic this basketball team is. The only reason why they're even up there is because of the name association and because of Mike Krzyzewski. That's it. The the fact that they constantly... Look, it would have been nice if Krzyzewski called in a favor and got one of those Belichick-like calls in this game. But instead, he has to sit and stew on the sidelines. This is great. Look, whatever happens from a betting standpoint aside, this is hilarious to watch. This truly is high comedy. You're watching a team right now hit self-realization that they are really more a benefactor of hype. Duke has been riding a hype train all year until right now in which they're finally exposed. Mike Krzyzewski walking around campus naked telling people he's got a brand new suit. Finally, somebody came up to him and said, dude, you're not wearing any clothes. And this Cameron Indoor Stadium, 
Louisville walks in and smacks him in the face. Smacks him in the face. And I don't care what gets discussed about the future here. Well, there's still time in the college basketball season. You got the ACC tournament. This thing, two plays just summed it up. Somebody on Duke just got dunked on to extend it by a seven-point game. I didn't see the play exactly, just the end of it. And two possessions before that, Duke with an opportunity to tie it with an air ball. White. White just got thrown down on to end the game. Get out. Just get out. Don't even look at anybody in the stands right now. Just leave. Put your head down. Don't even shake hands. If you're Louisville, don't you have to understand that? Don't you, as a competitor, understand that if it were you, you wouldn't want to shake, you wouldn't want to look anybody in the eye, just just get out. You just got ran off your home court. This might be, and think about this, you had a chance to bounce back from the Clemson loss. You had a moment to show people at home and who were watching across the country that what happened against Clemson was a total fluke. And instead, this is who you are. You don't have anybody you can rely on to navigate your ship. Whether it's too much youth or whether it's Krzyzewski getting exposed as finally, and I know that he's had a long history, been able to control and manifest something from a team that you may not be able to get. Overachieved, that's probably a better way to say it. But this team is just lost. This team right now has no shot, and they should fall. They truly should fall hard after these two losses. Clemson worse, I get it, because you're on the road losing to an unranked team. This, at least, you can make up some excuse. But what is the excuse here? What is the justification here? What is the reason why Duke gets humiliated at home by Louisville? Louisville is that much better of a basketball team? Okay, I guess we can start there. We can definitely look at that and start there and say, yeah, that makes sense. Louisville proved today, and today is a great barometer, as Krzyzewski was just lost and would not stop the clock, would not draw up a play, just allowed his kids to play through this loss. And maybe he's trying to spite somebody out there and teach them a lesson about how to control the game or the tempo of the game. But if you can't rely on any type of upper-class leadership, and you're just watching this thing disintegrate in front of you, it ain't going to change in the ACC tournament, and it sure as hell will not change in the NCAA tournament. The fact that they even came into this thing, and I know that they lost their two their two losses now coming right recently as a result of these last two games, but they shouldn't be anywhere near the top ten sniffing this. I get it. Auburn lost. Butler lost. They're not the only top five team to even lose with Auburn going down. But you have to look at the difference. It does not excuse how poorly Duke is playing. And I'm not even going to say right now because I think that's really who Duke is. Duke is a team that you just can't trust. And that's probably the biggest question you ask now. Whenever you see a top 10 team, and maybe that's a little too generous, but we'll look at that as far as top 10. Maybe top 5 is better, but for the purposes here, top 10. You look at any team that loses in the top 10 and ask yourself immediately, can I trust this team? 
what's the chemical makeup? What's the reason why they lost? What's the reason why you saw somebody go down? Was it because they were outmatched, outclassed? Was it because three guys were in foul trouble? Was it because they got hosed by the officials a bunch of times and it clearly looked like it was rigged? What's the reason why? Here, Duke has shown you two straight games. One, on the road against a team that they are significantly better than. They just overlooked, and they didn't care. And they thought they could come in and do whatever the hell they wanted, and instead, they were smacked in the face. And this is why you can't trust Duke moving forward to do anything in the tournament. This is why Duke will not win anything this year. This is why you write off Duke on any futures because of what you just saw in a two-game stretch. And when you go back to it, look, you might even see a scenario play out to build you up even higher. Where Duke has a similar scenario play out, let's say, in the first round of the tournament with Clemson. Instead of losing that game, you actually had them winning it. And you think, wow, they escape. However, they're ranked. Maybe they're a four seed, something like that. Five seed, depending on how bad they play in the regular season, where at this point, who the hell knows? And everybody thinks, oh, look, they bounced back. They were tested. They were smacked in the face, but they survived. But they'll wilt the next game. And you'll see exactly. This will be a two-game stretch that will be their demise in the tournament, what you just saw here. But to be fair, instead of losing the first game in the tournament like they did the first game here to Clemson, they will, in fact, survive, escape, move on, advance, only to be knocked out in the second round. That's a reality that Duke has pretty much set for us right now. That's the table that Duke has set for us right now. Atrocious. And how can you look at anybody right now if you're Coach K, Mike Krzyzewski, trying to justify this? It's not as bad as UNC, but my God, how bad are things if that's what you're looking to compare it to? This was not a difficult game to win. Duke made it much more difficult on their own end. Shots, my God, some of the shots that they put up consistently in this game were ridiculous. I don't know uh, what frame of reference they were shooting from, but it wasn't from a, we can beat this team. They handed Louisville some easy possessions, not even off of turnovers. Some of those shots were so bad. Some of the shot selection by Duke today was so pathetic that it might as well have been a turnover. At Shander Shows, hey, get me on Twitter. We've got more preliminaries in action here, pre-fight to fights, Huge card, all leading up to McGregor and Cerrone tonight. And we'll see if, in fact, anything cracks. Any type of pre-fight information will stay on that. And also, as mentioned, 14 minutes from now, we'll look a little bit into the biggest storyline, I think, for the weekend in the NFL that has to do with a head coach, not a player. It's SB Nation Radio. Dealing with the root of the issues, it's the second level on SB Nation Radio. And on SBNationRadio.com. Presented by Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Aton Shander. Moving closer to the fight. Man, there's a bunch of 
undercards right now. You, you got Tim Elliott versus Askar Asgarov. Who do you have in this fight, John? <laughs> I don't even know who half of these guys are, man. Well, it looks like we've got a final where Drew Dobert knocked out, or KOTKO, yeah, it looks like a punch knockout. Nasrat Hakparasat. So, Drew knocked out Nas. And we also have still to come a bunch of fights. Actually, I, I take it back, yeah, so that Alexa Kamer knocked out Justin Leddit. Or maybe it was a decision, pardon me. And Sabina Mazo defeated in a round, three-round decision, J.J. Aldridge. Were you paying attention to any of this? No, I didn't get a chance to look at it. I was still watching the the Duke game. Yeah, that was pretty disappointing. Pretty disappointing. And Duke should be embarrassed. I don't know how you can really slice it any other way. There was an opportunity to shut up a lot of people who thought that there were cracks in the dam, and now Duke is going to, and I get it, other teams lost, but Duke is going to hide behind. Well, look what happened to Auburn and Butler. And other did. Louisville was a top 12 team. Oh, man, the excuses already pouring in for a team that is as privileged as it gets in professional sports. I wonder how many people at Shander shows, hey, get me on Twitter. And the Facebook channel's up, Aton Shander, Mason Aton on Twitch. How many people the broadcast would actually be ruined for if, in fact, Jessica Mendoza was back because of the statements she made that were met with so much heat? Like, if you're watching Sunday Night Baseball and you don't like what Jessica Mendoza said, is that going to get in the way of the broadcast for you? Chances are that you probably don't even like her anyway, as is. Chances are that if that is something that's going to piss you off while watching and listening to that broadcast, then it's probably something deeper than just what she said about any type of rat, alleged rat, or anything as far as trying to justify what was going on and really vilifying somebody who brought it to our attention. Speaking of broadcast, this is going to be met with a lot of heat I'm sure this is a very unpopular opinion, but and it wasn't the regular guy, Dave Pash, I don't think the other night I'm sitting there and I was doing work as well as I had some action on the Colorado game and Arizona State. So I had Arizona State in that game. They lost, could not cover even in game. I had them in game. They could not cover, but I was working. I was doing a bunch of other stuff as well. So I was not sticking to my TV, glued to it, waiting for something to happen. Now, partly my fault, I guess. But the beauty of being able to bet on something is you can have it on in the background and do something else and still kind of pay attention to it. Now, don't you know? It's impossible. You can't. These guys, and look, I love Bill Walton. I get it. Bill Walton is hilarious and he's comedy, but you can't just 
do something else and listen to that broadcast. You have to watch the broadcast. Otherwise, it's just going to be listening to the two of them talk about some of the most random stuff that has absolutely nothing to do. And the only thing that saves you is the game itself. And I think for the most part, I was watching these broadcasts or I would get snips and clips of these broadcasts that we would play on the show and laugh at it and have fun with it because, ah, look, Bill Walton is saying some crazy stuff. Where in reality, that's a broadcast that's pretty unique where you have to be watching and you can't just set it and let it in the background. I mean, think about that. The average broadcast, whatever to eat, TV, we're talking TV, radio, it's meant to be that way. My God, if that's the problem on radio, then that's a major issue. But all I'm looking at is just trying to do some work, putting together a document, I'm doing some writing, and I'm just hoping that in the background I can get an update on a score, that I can get just a little bit of play-by-play mixed with some analysis on what just happened. Instead, I'm getting Bill Walton talking about some of the most random crap and half of it was funny, but the other, I, like, I couldn't even enjoy it. Because halfway through these stories, these anecdotes that he's telling, you look up and say, well, what the hell is the score? Okay, who the hell cares about Colorado-Arizona State? That's why they're doing that game, so people can watch and actually have some interest in what normally would be a bogus game. You know what? That mentality is out the window. Now that sports betting is legal, Now that around the country in certain spots, you can legally place a bet on sports, that whole, well, the stinker and you need to, uh uh-uh. There are things of relevance no matter what in every game, every match, everything that you're going up against. It can be this Elliot Askarov fight that's happening right now leading up to this Conor McGregor thing. And you know what? Somebody's got action on it. So just to move away from it and say, oh, you're not going to get any value of it. Who cares? Somebody has money on something, especially if it's on a major broadcast, like, for example, ESPN, that game was with Walton. I couldn't for the life of me sit there and concentrate on everything else because every 30 seconds or 90 seconds, I'm looking up like, what the hell are these guys talking about? We'll go around the NFL. There's only two games to talk about. We'll stay with The Athletic and focus on two gigantic championship games coming up next on SB Nation Radio. You're listening to The Second Level on SB Nation Radio. And on SBNationRadio.com. Presented by Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, with way more than the scores, here's Aton Shander. Two big games, and we've been waiting and waiting, and hopefully it will pay off, won't be marred by any stupid officiating, bad calls, or some replay controversy. You only have two games, so they better get it right. We'll bring in Simi Buttar, who covers the NFL sports and beyond for the AP. You can follow him on Twitter at SIMVH1984. Aton Shander, Espination Radio. See me, appreciate the time tonight. And let's start with the biggest storyline heading into the weekend for both games. And we were kind of 
flirting with this a little bit earlier, kind of dancing around it, and I thought out loud, is it really Andy Reid? Is this really the biggest storyline where Andy Reid has a Hall of Fame career and fill in the blank, et cetera, but it's missing that one thing and not to do with Aaron Rodgers maybe or another player out there? Well, in terms of the AFC game for the Chiefs, yeah, I mean, he's got all, you know, look where he ranks in the uh, top 10 for wins, and all the um, all the coaches above him have either a Super Bowl or an NFL championship, so that's a big glaring mis- uh, omission from his resume. So, yeah, that's, that's, that's a huge narrative. I mean, if the Chiefs win tomorrow, it's going to be Andy Reid back in the Super Bowl looking to get it this time, and that's going to be kind of a, a driving. Obviously, Mahomes, too, don't get me wrong, but that will sure. be a, a, a big focal point. What happens if they lose? What's the discussion? What's the column from you? What's the narrative on sports talk, television, and radio? Andy Reid loses another one. Well, especially if they lose to the sixth seed at home. Yep. You know, uh, and, you know they needed a two seed had a bye. That would not, you know, obviously there'd be a lot of them. You know, he lost because he made it, I believe, four conference title games in a row with Philadelphia. Didn't have the best record because he only made that one Super Bowl while he was with the Eagles. So, yeah, it's going to be like, you know, obviously it depends how the game goes, but if they fall short, it's going to, you know, he's going to take a large amount of the blame. So what is the biggest, when you just combine both games and you look across the board, let's just start and zoom out as much as we can. Outside of Andy Reid, we talked about that, maybe we'll come back to it in a second, but what's the one thing, the most anticipating thing that you're looking at as far as the storyline is concerned across the board? Uh, I well, Mahomes because he's you know he's the uh, reigning MVP for, uh, from last season. Is he the, is he going to lead the next wave of these young quarterbacks to make the Super Bowl? Because we've you know we've had lots of Brady and Manning and and, and you know we could have Rodgers and Breeze. A lot of these guys, the veteran quarterbacks, who have kind of been established, who have all um, made Super Bowls and won championships. Can Mahomes be that lead the next wave? You know, is, is he can he be that guy? That's like one one of the strongest narratives that we could see coming out of tomorrow. And I, I wonder, are we going to see, or actually, let me just rephrase it and put it in the form of a question, sorry, but how likely is it that Mahomes does answer that bell and does throw for 400 yards and four TDs, but we've seen this before where the Chiefs either lose or it, it, maybe that's the scenario where the Titans still find a way to win this game despite the offensive onslaught from Mahomes. Yeah, I mean, if, if he, you know, if Mahomes plays well and has big numbers and they still lose, obviously the fault won't be placed as much on him. Like, kind of like last year, what happened with the Patriot game. I mean, he had a great, he had a really, especially second half, he was great, but uh, they, they obviously fell short. So, and, and, and obviously we have to credit what the Titans do. How do they, you know, do they, if they win this game tomorrow, how do they do it? With the defense and running, like we've seen for the past two weeks. So that, that'll play a big role in how, these, how the game turns out and how we kind of look, um, reflect on it. Do you think that it's, a little unfair to even ask this question based on them being a six seed and clearly not having anywhere near the talent at the quarterback position that Andy Reid does. But is there any advantage, and maybe it's something intangible or maybe there is something you can point to, a coaching advantage that Mike Vrabel would have in this head-to-head matchup? Maybe it's just wait for Andy Reid to make a mistake. I mean, listen, I would, you know, I mean, I mean, Mike, whatever Mike Rebel's doing is working, but if you, he, you can say, listen, we went to New England, no one thought we were going to win that game, we won that game. We went to Baltimore last week, no one thought we were going to win that game, we won that game. Why not do it three in a row? Why not go to Arrowhead and win the game tomorrow? No one thought, you know, we, got, we had this running back who's on a big roll here, the defense is playing real well, why not do it again? I'm sure some, some, I mean, obviously, that's probably a, a lot of the message there, you know, belief. 
they believe. Simi Batar joining us at SIMVH1984 on Twitter. Covers sports for the AP, AP.org, of course. Aton Shander, SB Nation Radio. Do you like the Titans, seven and a half, as far as a dog is concerned on the road? I, you know, I think, well, <laughs> I, I, it's hard to go against the Chiefs here. You know, there's, I mean, obviously, you know, they're the, big, the heavy favorite, but it's, you know, that, that offense looked pretty awesome last week in the last three quarters of that game. So, you know, when you score 51 or 58 points in the game in a playoff game, that's, that's pretty scary. Now, okay, how about the flip side when you look at the NFC Championship game and it's crazy to say that Aaron Rodgers and the season, the year that they've had, would still be over a touchdown dog on the road in San Francisco. But that's where we find ourselves right now. Do you like Green Bay to cover that big line? I, well, Aaron Rodgers. I like Aaron Rodgers. Even if it's like a 10-point game late, you know, maybe they're still rallying. Maybe they can, you know, give you a, a backdoor kind of thing there, you know, because of that situation. But, you know, one thing that's not been discussed a lot, obviously we talked about Aaron Rodgers, can he get back to another Super Bowl? It's been a decade or so. But Jimmy G, we don't know what we're going to get out of Jimmy G. He was not great in the, in the game against the Vikings. Doesn't have a lot of playoff experience as a starter. You know, this is, you know obviously they're at home and they have a great defense, as we saw last week. But, you know, what, what are we going to get out of Jimmy G tomorrow? I don't know. <laughs> we'll see. Yeah. And, and I wonder, Chiefs would be, I think, the obvious answer on the AFC. But if you're looking for the most exciting matchup, the one that's going to provide the most electricity, drama, theater, if you will, for columns and radio shows alike. Would it be Chiefs-Packers? I'm, I'm guessing that that would probably be the ideal matchup in that scenario. I think, I mean, you know, because you know, the NFL is celebrating its 100th season, so if you have a rematch of, well, you know, of Super Bowl one in the NFL's 100th season, it has a lot of uh, appeal that way, so... You know, obviously Chiefs haven't been in the Super Bowl in 50 years. There's a long, long-suffering fan base. So there's a lot of, you know, obviously two old franchises. You know, Packers have a big national following. So, yeah, I think that would have some appeal uh, if, if, if that was the matchup. Is there a team, and I guess let me take Baltimore out of it because they're probably an easy answer here, but is there a team, and let's look at this across the board, maybe not even just of the final six on either side, but just in general. Is there a team outside of Baltimore that you're truly surprised, not shocked, but surprised, isn't here, isn't playing in the Final Four? Uh, it's going a little silly, but I think New Orleans. I really thought... Great answer. After the last couple post-seasons you know, post they had, they lost in the, you know, the, the, the Minneapolis Miracle, and they lost in that blown call last year. I thought, okay, you know, and they didn't get the bye, but I thought they're going to come out with a, with a you know, bit of a vengeance here. They know Breeze has you know, got a couple years left. They have a 13-3 record, really strong team, great year. And to lose that game to the Vikings really surprised me. That's a great answer because I think the Patriots were just playing over their head offensively for so long, and it caught up to them. And as disappointing as it is for any year for Tom Brady up there for them that they don't win a Super Bowl, as spoiled as that may sound, I think you're right. The most disappointing year is owned by the Saints. I mean, even the Browns, who were hyped to maybe even win that division, then they fell flat on their face. I don't know if there's a more disappointing end to a year than the Saints, both positive or negative, in the NFL. Yeah, I mean, we all saw the regular season they had. They played the Niners in that great game in the regular season, that shootout game. So they, they just were really you know, primed to make a big run and to get bounced in the first weekend. That was kind of a surprise, you know. No, absolutely. All right, so you say you, you won't go against Rodgers on the spread, but it sounded like you still had the Niners winning that game. Is that right, Simi? 
You know, I, uh, I'm kind of leaning a little towards the Packers. I know it's not the, the conventional wisdom here. Hey, I have them, so I feel better now. <laughs> there you go. Well, you know, you and me, and maybe just a couple other folks in Green Bay. But no, but like I think seriously, I think it, <laughs> no, veteran quarterback. You know, he, he had a good running game. Defense played well last week. I just I like what Green Bay's doing here, and I just you know I just had to get a gut. It's a little more of a gut feeling because you know these, these, I know the spread is big. But they had this, these were close teams in the C. I know, I know they played in the regular season in the San Francisco Blue Mountain. I, don't, I think that's why a lot of the the thought uh, is on the Niners being a pretty significant favorite. But I just I like Rodgers in this game for some reason. No, I, I think you're right, and it, there's something believable about that. The Titans are on this run, and. You kind of don't want to go up against momentum. We've seen that. The Giants have done that a couple times. We've seen this in the playoffs where anything can happen, and you don't want to go technically against momentum. But isn't it just such an easier sell when you say it out loud, the Packers are going to win this game as opposed to the Titans are going to win this game? It's almost like you have to stretch to really believe the Titans are going to beat the Chiefs, whereas I don't think anybody truly wakes up shocked and falls out of their bed Monday when they see the Packers have actually won that game. Right. I think, you know, if Aaron Rodgers has a great game, you know, no one's going to say, oh, my God, how'd that happen? Where'd that come from? And, you know, obviously, he's a Hall of Fame quarterback. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're going to see that, and it's going to be there. And, you know, we're going to say, oh, Packers are back to the Super Bowl. You know, and he's going to go for his second here. And there, there's someone else, like, I think Rodgers wants to, you know, kind of wants a second, too, because he's had such great regular season numbers. But the, to get to be one of those guys who has multiple Super Bowl titles, that puts you in a, in a really elite class, rare class. Simi Buttar joining us, SB Nation Radio, Aton Shander, at Shander Show for me on Twitter, at SimVH1984 for Simi on Twitter. All right, so I'm curious because I, I don't know how I would react. I don't know how far back I would have to scrub tweets delete a couple of tweets before freezing takes gets me. And I say this as an Eagles fan, of course, here in Philadelphia, where if the Eagles hired Jason Garrett, I'd probably have to go back and delete like 50 tweets, calling him you know, the most incompetent person on the planet and laughing and all these other things. Have Giants fans in New York and around Southern Connecticut, Northern Jersey, Bergen County, Fairfield in between. Have Giants fans come to grips and maybe deleted a bunch of old tweets about what they've said of Jason Garrett? Well, I think there was, you know, when the news broke, uh, I think there was some like, really? <laughs> because, you know, <laughs> you, 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 you know, because obviously, you know, the rivalry with, with the sure. Cowboys, is, and you hire that guy. It's kind of like what happened here last year in New York with, you know, the uh, Jets fired Todd Bowles and I had Adam Gates, the Dolphins coach. You know, you're like, really? You're going to hire the Dolphins guy to be the coach here? So it sort of happened. I know it's a coordinator, not the head coach, but it's a little bit similar in that sense that they hired division rival two years in a row for a major position, for an office position. So it's a little, yeah, some of that was like, you know, there was a little surprise in the fan base. But I think if you think about it, like, he knows offense. He's coached, obviously, a young quarterback and a good running back in Dallas. He's got the same thing with the Giants. So, it, you know, it's not totally, and obviously, you have a rookie head coach. So, you know, to take, to take that sort of burden off them, off Judge, it makes it, it just makes some sense. Well, and let's look at this real quick because the Eagles still looking for an offensive coordinator. And the biggest difference where the Giants have great skill set guys, they don't have an offensive line, the Eagles have some – uh, so good linemen, but they don't even have a wide receiver that the average person can pick out. So you look at the differences there, but the one key difference seemed to be, and I imagine this might be why the Giants job would be more appealing, is autonomy, is being able to call plays. Is that something that you think truly is going to prevent 
the Philadelphia Eagles from landing maybe a candidate and something that could actually help Jason Garrett almost funnel in his abilities, knowing that now he does have the ability to call plays and, and almost be autonomous in that regard? Well, I'm sure that was an appeal if that was the agreement, uh, you know, with the Giants. I'm sure, you know, he's like, listen, I, you know, I can, I, I'll take the offense off your back, and, you know, I, I know what I'm doing here, and he's got credibility with that. So I think that works there. In terms of the Eagles, like, you know, I know obviously uh, Peterson you know, handles that side of things, but I'm sure, I mean, I don't know if he's going to groom a younger guy. I don't, know what, I don't know exactly what the discussion is down there, but it'd be kind of interesting to see. Does he take, like, a younger guy and kind of groom him up, kind of like what Belichick's done with a lot of these younger coaches. He sort of, you know, takes guys who are, like, you know, coaching special teams or whatever, and kind of grooms them up, and eventually they get coordinator jobs, and in some cases head coaching jobs. So I wonder if the Eagles will do something similar down there. Yeah, we saw that in Detroit, right? Corey Unlin now, the D.C., he's not calling plays, but moves from a D-backs coach in Philly to a D.C. in Detroit under Patricia, and you think at some point, just to your point there, about being groomed, and maybe it's calling plays as another D.C. or even as a head coach. Simi, really appreciate the time tonight. Thank you, sir. Thank you for having me. You got it. Simi Butar joining us from the AP on all things NFL. Lakers, Rockets in action right now. We'll update you on that as we wrap the show next on SB Nation Radio. You're listening to The Second Level on SB Nation Radio. And on SBNationRadio.com. Presented by Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, with way more than the scores, here's Aton Shander. Dave Smith comes your way next on all SB Nation Radio, SB Nation Radio platforms. One of six right now, as Askar Askarov has defeated Tim Elliott. I had Askarov minus 133 on the money line. Now, just to run this down here, I have Odie Osborne at minus 133 to defeat Brian Kelleher. Something happened with that fight. It got moved back. So that will be fought in a couple of cards. I have Diego Ferreira minus 225 against Anthony Pettis. I have Alexei Olenek taking on Morris Mo Green. And Olinick is plus 115 on the money line there. Mo Green. Mo Green! And Holly Holm at minus 133 to knock out Raquel Pennington. And then, of course, McGregor at minus 300. All locked in right there. So you bet specifically, All locked in on, the specifically on the knockout there? I'm telling you, there's value in this card tonight. I just have no idea what I'm doing. Why not? Why not? I mean, Holly Holm is minus 133. If you're going to watch the McGregor fight, you know you're going to watch the Holm fight. It's the one right before it. So you know you're going to sit there wherever you are. If you're out at a bar, if you're at home having people over for this fight, God help you if you are. My God. Why? Why would this be? This is akin to the McNeely-Tyson fight. Did you have a fight party for that? Did you invite 50 people over to sit on your couch and put Dorito crumbs everywhere and spill beer on your new couch just to watch Peter McNeely get his ass kicked? I think they called that fight 16 seconds into it. What McGregor doesn't win this fight tonight. Can we please just stop? Enough is enough. End this. Cut this nonsense out of our lives. Dave Smith next. Great job, John. <laughs> 